0: It's 8.34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I was listening to our morning news, so let me get this straight. Ed Flynn, the Milwaukee police chief, who never thinks he is wrong, uh, he does not want to change his chase policy. Fire and police commission has said... The policy is not working. People are running from the cops. They are thumbing their nose at the police. It is recklessly endangering safety, and Ed Flynn doesn't want to change. The mayor is saying, well, I'm I'm kind of in the middle of this. I'm, I'm going to talk to both sides. Tom Barrett, if you care about the community, if you care about anything other than your stupid trolley, you should start recognizing that you have a major crime problem, and I understand that Ed Flynn carries water for you. He comes out and says dumb things about guns and things like that. But the bottom line is, you if you care about the safety of your community, you need to wake up and recognize that what the police department is doing under the leadership of Ed Flynn, at least with regard to chases, is not working. How many more Milwaukee citizens are going to have to die? How many poor people are going to have to be victimized before you decide, all right, I am going to move us into 2017 and call the police chief on the carpet? While you're at it, we'll talk about this in just a minute, why don't you start using your bully pulpit to call some of the judges in Milwaukee County on the carpet for their ridiculous decisions as well? Story in the paper. Girls, ages five and nine, and two men shot on Milwaukee's north side. Four people, including girls ages 5 and 9, were shot Tuesday evening on Milwaukee's north side, police said. The girls and two men, ages 20 and 40, were taken to hospitals and are expected to survive. The shooting was reported shortly after 6.30 p.m. in the 30, 3000 block of North 39th Street, according to police who were seeking suspects. All right. Ed Flynn, a couple weeks ago, goes goes in front of a community group and says, hey, the reason we've got violent crime in Milwaukee, the reason we've got all this gun crime, it's concealed carry permit holders. Well, once again, what do you want to bet that if and when they catch the people that shot the girls and the 20 and 40 year olds, what do you want to bet that there was anybody involved with a concealed carry permit that did this? Flynn is delusional. He's delusional. It has gotten worse and public safety is getting worse as well. Now, the one thing, I sympathize with when Ed Flynn talks about the Milwaukee police chase policy is he says, well, even if we chase these people that run from us and even if we catch them, once they get into the court system, nothing happens to them. They are just turned loose back on the street. So why endanger officers trying to catch the bad guys if you've got the Milwaukee County catch and release system? And I understand there is a little bit of a value to that. Why should you, though, let's say you don't live in Milwaukee County like I do, right? Now, Milwaukee County, you are held hostage to the criminal justice system. But why should you care necessarily if you live in Ozaukee County or Waukesha County or, um, ozaki county or any of the surrounding counties why, why should you necessarily care about the crime in Milwaukee you can just simply say well we're just not going to go to Milwaukee County that that's how we're going to respond to this you know we're not going to drive on Tom Barrett streets we're just gonna we're just going to try to be safe well the problem is Milwaukee County crime is spreading it's sort of like a giant stain you know you, you pour you spill the coca-cola and it doesn't just stay it spreads out and that is what you find happening now last week we talked extensively about this good Samaritan who was killed in in the car crash um, out in in Delafield you will remember the story it was a man from Canada 40 um, some year old guy from Canada and what had happened was there was a family their car had had a flat tire They pull the van over. They pull their vehicle over to the side of the road, and they're they're out there trying to change the tire. Kids are in the car. The Good Samaritan, this guy from Canada, stops and helps them change the tire. Well, meanwhile, what happens is you have this this guy who um, his name was Frank Schiller, um, who is out on a signature bond for his alleged fifth offense drunk driving who according to police reports and calls from his family was you know drugged up and high and potentially drunk Who's driving at a high rate of speed, pulls down, starts driving through the shoulder, on the shoulder, and slams into the man, the good Samaritan, who is helping change the tire, kills him, hits the van, drive knocks the van 20, 30 feet, it starts spinning. There's children inside the van. All right, well, the question becomes, how did this character in the first place get out on bail? A signature bail. That's number one. And number two, while he was out on signature bail, apparently he violated the conditions of his bail two separate occasions with regard to drugs. And Milwaukee County Judge Pedro Colon, who was apparently notified of this, didn't do anything. Now, I don't know whether it's all Cologne's fault or whether you blame the pretrial services, the probation people, or the DA's office, or probably a combination of all of them, but there is blood on people's hands. A person is dead because this guy should not have been out on the street in the first place. Well, here's the other story that relates to that. 75-year-old woman, victim of carjacking at West Bend Piggly Wiggly store. A seventy five year old woman was the victim of a carjacking Tuesday at a piggly wiggly supermarket in West Bend. The robbery was reported shortly before seven thirty AM seven thirty in the morning at the, the, the piggly wiggly west bend on, on Washington Street. The woman seven, did I mention it's seven thirty in the morning? The woman was walking to her car when a guy grabs her keys from her hand and drives away in the vehicle. Um, he stole a 2008 Infiniti G35. All right, so the police, I, I see the story, and this is the way it was reported in the journal Sentinel. Fox 6 actually had more details. Um, West Bend police, um, they have now gone public and identified the suspects. Um, the police are looking for a 19-year-old man named Raheem Woodley. Here's the description: black man, standing five foot seven tall, weighing—I'm um, not sure what the weight is—with a medium build. Last seen wearing a red hoodie with black lettering down the side. Um, okay, so they're looking. They've identified it. They say we need help finding this guy. He is Raheem Woodley. That's who we're looking at. That is who our person of interest is. All right. So I get a little bit curious. Who is Raheem Woodley? Now, Now, again, I I don't want to be judgmental about this type of stuff, but I'm thinking, all right, is this some native guy from West Bend, for example, with no criminal record who just woke up Tuesday morning and decided today's the day that I'm going to go out and I'm going to assault a 75-year-old woman at 730 in the morning in the parking lot of the Piggly Wiggly? Because maybe that happens. I, I get it. Rakeem Woodley. Now, I do not know. He's only 19. I do not know what his juvenile record is. My guess is there is a juvenile record that's there. Rakeem Woodley. All right. Let's see. April 27th of 2016. This is July of 2017. That is the offense date. Attempted armed robbery with threat of force. Milwaukee County. Vehicle, um, fleeing op- officers, um, again, Milwaukee County, a felony. He is convicted on October 26th of 2016. So he is convicted of, again, attempted armed robbery with threat of force and fleeing from police. This is October of 2016. He appears before, wait for it, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Pedro Colon. He is sentenced, state prison, now again, I don't know what his juvenile record is, but I'm willing to bet that it is long, but I don't know for sure. State prison, this is in October, for one year um, on both charges, the eluding and the attempted armed robbery with threat of force. He gets a year, and they run the sentences concurrent, so you serve them at the same time. He is put on extended supervision for two years. He is, now get this, he is as a condition of his release, his supervision, no driving without a valid driver's license, no further violations of the law. (laughs) Okay, no driving without a valid driver's license and no further violations of the law. That is October. That is October of 2016. February of um, 2016. That's that's when the the sentence is handed down, and then he's back in court in February of 2017 for I, I think uh, a follow up sentencing on the attempted armed robbery, and again he gets the one year concurrent. But the bottom line is the sentence is a year. He is then released. So I I, pres- I am presuming that if he committed this crime in April, he probably got credit for time served. So he, he's he's been out. For probably no more than a couple months he's on extended supervision so somebody is supposed to be watching him he's not supposed to be driving cars and by the way he's not supposed to be committing other crimes and at least now the West Bend police are circulating his photograph identifying him as the person of interest that they believe came out to West Bend and carjacked the 75 year old woman um, again on on Tuesday morning I, I bring this up because I understand that there is this tendency to sort of want to say, okay, the city of Milwaukee is this island of crime. And if Tom Barrett or Ed Flynn or the judges in Milwaukee County can't figure out a way to get a handle on the crime problem in the city, it's just the problem with the city. It doesn't affect anybody else. That's not the way it works though. The truth of the matter is the crime problem in Milwaukee is spreading. You have more and more people who are coming from Milwaukee, who are going out to the suburbs, who are committing crimes. And then, whether it's because it's targets of opportunity, I don't know why, but that is what is going on. And that's why everybody in our listening area needs to care about what is going on in Milwaukee County, what these sentences are, and what what needs to be done to stop it. All right. This is big story number one, 414 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would particularly like to talk to you if you live in, in the suburbs, because, again, you know, we, we tend to think of Milwaukee as this island. It's not our problem. You know, who, who cares what goes on there? We can be safe by just not coming into the city. Well, that's that's not the way it is playing out, because crime is coming to you. And now the one thing that ends up happening is when a lot of the criminals who have committed crimes in Milwaukee, who are, the guy was on, if this is the guy, he's on extended supervision. You know, how, how, who's watching him? What does extended supervision mean? Why do you just turn people loose? But But the only good thing is... When people commit crimes in the city and then, you know, with criminal records, go out and commit crimes in the suburbs, at least if you get out of Milwaukee County, my sense is the judges in Ozaukee County and Washington County and Dodge County and Waukesha County perhaps take a different and a dimmer view of people victimizing their citizens. Four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a regional problem, and unfortunately... And fortunately, here in Milwaukee County, I don't think people want to address it. And it's becoming a problem for everybody else who lives outside of Milwaukee County. Are you concerned with spreading crime? 414-799-1620. That's big story number one. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 847. This is Jeff Wagner.
1: Do you think you can tell
0: 851 Jeff Wacker, 620 WTMJ. That's Roger Waters. And he brings us his Us and Them tour to the BMO, Harri- BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. We're going to be giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets all this week. Be listening to my show, and you could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters featuring songs from Pink Floyd. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets sometime between now and noon. Kay in Waukesha. Kay, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Kay. Uh, my car was stolen out of my driveway on
2: June 30th. I live in Waukesha. Right. They were able to get the keys out of my house because my door wasn't locked. So they had this opportunity. Anyway, the, the car was gone for five.
0: Okay, it's all your fault. You didn't lock your door. <laughs> and so, I mean, you, you were just, I mean, you know, seriously, some people, especially in Milwaukee, might argue you didn't lock your door. You were inviting those people to come yeah, out and right, steal from I you. Think,
2: yep, yeah. They were to be toying around. They had to be. This was in the middle of the night. Wow. But then the car was involved in the felony. Um, the breaker break-in.
1: Oh, okay, sure.
2: So that my car was involved in that. So it it was recovered five days later. Well, it's totaled now. Right. And I'm just dealing with all of that and I'm going to get a different vehicle. But initially they thought maybe it was just kids out for a joyride. And obviously not from the things that I found in the car. That wasn't the case.
0: like, Like what sort of stuff?
2: Um, just all kind of phone jacks. Well, and I think it was it was processed because it was a felony. Right. So the police took a lot of the evidence out of it. Right. But just little stuff that you think that right. they set up it as a little bit of a roving home base.
0: Right. So people stole your car to use uh-huh. it in planning other larger crimes.
2: Well, initially, that's what ended up, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, interesting. That's, so, that's, I mean, so crime is spreading all over.
2: I feel, yeah. Yeah um but that and i and i feel for the story i i wasn't personally involved i feel for the woman in west bend oh my gosh it has to be horrendous having a car stolen without me being involved or i'm glad that my car wasn't involved in anything else Right. So they were they were they used stop sticks to stop the car and there was a bullet hole in the back hatch.
0: Right. Yeah, because your car was when you're talking about the Breaker, That's the automobile dealership that's I, I think been victimized right. a couple times yeah. by these roving gangs of thugs right. that break in and try to steal cars and drive stolen cars right. to those locations.
2: Yeah. It was 27 an hour. That's where they they recovered my car.
0: Right. Right. So and I'm of course. Well, no, and, see, and Kay, what people don't understand, too, is if you've never been a crime victim, and I hope most people haven't, it, it's you, okay, you have done nothing wrong. Um, you have been a victim. you you know, your 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 home has been violated. The car has been stolen. It's now totaled. So you're wrestling with the insurance company. You're without a car. It's all these different issues. It, it's you know, it, it's not something that you just kind of shrug off. Some people would say, oh, she's got insurance or whatever, but it's a lot bigger than that.
2: Oh, right. They stole my my wallet as well because it was right there in the kitchen available. So then they went out and charged about $30 worth of McDonald's, which I think is funny.
0: You <laughs> <laughs> well, see, except what happens is a lot of times the crooks will, if they steal credit cards, they'll go and they'll make some small purchases to see if the credit cards work before they then start making the larger purchases. But um, at least it was all recovered. Okay, thank, thanks, Nicole. But this is it. You, you've got this, this crime that's spread. Okay, this story, and again, I... I, I don't know. This Raheem Woodley, the police in West Bend have said this is who we're looking for. Okay, that's the person of, of interest. I, I don't know if they're ultimately catch him. I don't know if they're going to ultimately charge him. But again, I'm, I'm looking at this criminal record and. All right, you know he, he gets sentenced to he he gets sentenced to a year in prison last fall. This is now July. He's out on the streets, and again, maybe he'd been sitting in jail since he allegedly since he committed the crime in April. So maybe it's time served. But I guess the question is number one: obviously, the one year sentence was not sufficient to protect the general public if this man is in fact the person that engaged in this carjacking. That's number one. But number two: what what does what does extended supervision mean? I mean, just absolutely you want to talk about something that's absolutely useless. And I understand that there's limitations on what probation officers can do. They're going to say, well, we can't live with somebody 24-7. But here you have somebody at best. If this is the man that committed the crime, and again, police in West Bend are saying this is our person of interest. He, at best, I mean, he's been out a couple months, and he's out you know, carjacking a 75-year-old woman in a piggly-wiggly grocery store parking lot at 7.30 in the morning the other day. So obviously... Number 1 the sentence wasn't sufficient but this extended supervision it ain't working. What why bother doing this with these dangerous people um if it's just going to be completely useless. And the judge Pedro Colon also said, "Hey, as a condition of your release, um, you know, no driving without a valid driver's license. I can I see the eye rolls collectively and no further violations of the law." Yeah, how is that working out? Now again, the thing that is perhaps the silver lining here is when some of the criminals from Milwaukee decide to go out to the suburbs, to some of our other surrounding counties, and commit crimes, again, my guess is the reception is not going to be as positive and as good. They're not going to get off as easy as if they go through the Milwaukee County court system. Just saying. Um, We have an interview with Paul Ryan. It's very, very interesting. It's coming up in less than 10 minutes. It's 8.56. This is Jeff Wagner. Nine oh seven. This is Jeff Wagner. So Jane, did you see that Hondo is back today from his two days of I jury did. duty? He, he was. He was on jury duty. It was. He, he came in today, and and he was um, either the beneficiary of, or the victim of the Wagner effect. So he, he gets down. <laughs> you're opening. Your he, he gets down to jury duty, and apparently the first day he tells me that they call him onto a. You know, he, he's selected in, in his part of like the panel to, to wait sure. for a criminal jury, and you know, they they ask everybody to stand up and and say, okay, what do you do? And he says, I'm a producer at WTMJ, and doesn't say any more. At which point in time, before he can sit down, the judge says, well, what exactly do you do at WTMJ? Well, I produced the Jeff Wagner Show. Thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, you, sir. (laughs) These judges are probably thinking, we want no part of this guy at all. (laughs) The attorneys want no part of him. So then yesterday... Uh, again, it's the, the same sort of thing. This time, it's a civil case. You thought he thought maybe he'd, he'd get on the civil case. What do you do? I'm a producer at WTMJ. Then one of the attorneys, excuse me, sir. Exactly. What do you do as a producer? I produce the Jeff Wagner show. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you know. So he, he's. He, you, you could see you could have been on Hondo a a, a two month long jury tri- civil jury trial about something. You know, but instead. You're you're back here. It's it's the Wagner. Well, effect. now I know that if I ever get called for jury duty, <laughs> I am your producer, Jeff. Exactly, <laughs> or or your, or your very good friend. Yes, do you have any close friends? you know, I work at W. I'm, you know, I I do the news during Jeff Wagner's show. You know, in addition to host the co-hosting the morning show. Thank you, Ms. Matnair. That's great. So, anyways, welcome back. Your 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 Phil. Yes, he says that your are Phil and the big dog did a tremendous job, and it's good to have you back. Um, I had an opportunity um, just within the last. You know, 24 hours to have a conversation with uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan. By way of background, um, I'm a huge fan of Paul Ryan, and I've kind of watched on the outs. I I, I remember when first when Paul first ran for Congress, and I was I, I helped him raise money back for his first campaign in, in the mid 1990s. It was very apparent to me at the time that Paul Ryan was, in my opinion, that the type of person. That, that should be involved in politics. Paul is one of those guys, and I'm just here to tell you if you don't know him, he's one of those guys that is is really the smartest person in the room when it comes to policy, but uh, amazingly, he has this ability to not let you know that he's the smartest person in the room. But if, if you're smart yourself, you, you realize that. Um, I think that the leadership role in the House of Representatives is something that that Paul took on and it is an absolutely thankless job. First of all, if you're going to be you know the the Speaker of the House, if you're going to be the leader of the political party, in any event when you've got 220 some-odd or however many you know Republican congressmen they have, trying to keep everybody in line in the first place is like herding cats. It, It is a challenge. Now you have you know the Trump administration um, that sometimes perhaps sends mixed messages. You have the mainstream media that is absolutely united in trying to bring down or stop anything that the Republicans want to do. And the, the truth of the matter is, and one of the things I wanted to talk to Paul about is, I saw a story yesterday, and it's like, this is the most do-nothing Congress in 164 years. And that's just not true. Now, if if you watch the the cable news channels. All you hear is Russia, 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 Russia. And and healthcare and things like that. And I, I think that, you know, they're especially when it comes to the healthcare debacle, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on this morning. I, I think it is it's fair in some respects to say, okay, what what are you doing with that? But the truth of the matter is, Congress has done a lot of stuff that they really haven't gotten credit for and you might not even know about because it doesn't fit the media template in any event here's our conversation with the speaker of the house of representatives congressman paul ryan it is my great pleasure to be joined by the speaker of the house of representatives paul ryan paul good morning hey good morning jeff how you doing very well thank you well a lot of stuff going on let, let me let me not bury the lead here um yeah the house of representatives passes a reform bill for the affordable care act The Senate apparently can't come up with votes to do a reform bill. Repeal is now apparently off the table. President Trump is saying, hey, maybe we should just let Obamacare fail. What's going on, and how does this all play out?
3: Well, it is failing, so what the president is doing is basically stating the obvious, and if the Senate can't pass a bill, our bill or even their own version of the bill, then the status quo continues, and the problem is the status quo is Obamacare is collapsing. This isn't just political rhetoric. It is actually collapsing. Premiums have doubled. You've got insurance companies fleeing the market left and right because it was failed in the way it was designed. And what's going on is, uh, let me give you just some statistics, 41% of all counties in America are down to one insurer left. Um, Blue Cross is pulling out of a whole bunch of markets across the country, and they were the last insurer in lots of areas, like Ohio and and in missouri and in iowa and so they pulled out of wisconsin as well so we're we're down to a whole bunch of counties in america have no insurers left in these exchange markets and four out of ten have one insurer left and with no reform in sight with no light at the end of the tunnel like our replace bill i have a hard time seeing these insurers stick it out uh, because they're losing so much money because they call it a death spiral obama was set up the wrong way its premiums are cranking up, and it, and the profile of the pool is getting sicker by the day, and so insurers are losing too much money, and they're just pulling out of the marketplace.
0: So th- does the Senate have to do something? I mean, the House has passed the bill. Yeah. Do they have to take that up? I mean, you can't. Well, that's what we sent them.
3: And so we sent them our bill, and we told them, please pass our bill or your own version of it, and we'll go hammer out the differences. So for, from my perspective, I just wanted to pass something so that we can at least get to negotiations on a final version of the bill. And that's you know, just how a bill becomes a law. If it, the House passes something, then the Senate passes something, and then you, you iron out the differences. But that process can continue. It can't go forward if the Senate doesn't pass anything. And that's where they are right now and that's what's, that's what's frustrating to all of us right now.
0: So from your perspective, right now the ball is in the Senate's court and they have to yeah, we don't have a
3: choice. It is in the Senate's court because we did our job passed our bill. And we have to get them to pass something so we can keep the process going. And it's basically what the president said: if 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 the status quo just continues on and we don't pass something, then I really do think the law is going to just continue its collapse.
0: We're speaking with the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan. Paul, yesterday the House Budget Committee came out with a a, a tax reform bill. Um, mm-hmm. Is this is this realistic? Let's talk a little bit about this. Is this going to happen?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, that's the one issue I feel very confident of. Look, health care, as you can see in the Senate, there are Republicans with different views on how to do health care reform. Tax reform, we're all pretty much wired the same way. Our DNA is extremely similar. And in the Senate, in the House, excuse me, we ran on a tax reform plan. We're working out the differences right now with our friends in the Senate ahead of time. It's so one of the lessons we learn with, with health care is. Let's try to iron out our differences ahead of time so when we move forward with the bill, we're on the same page and we can get it done. That's the kind of conversations that are occurring right now between the House, the Senate, and the White House on tax reform. So what the Budget Committee just did is they're moving through their committee um, the shell, the, the vehicle, which is what we use to pass a tax reform bill. So it's not the actual tax reform bill, but it's the budget that carries the tax reform bill that they're passing. So we're basically putting the train on the tracks, to get tax reform done this fall. Our goal here is to have a new tax code put in place by the end of this year so that come January 1, 2018, we got a new tax code up and running.
0: Uh, I know one of the things that you have said is that that, it, it's going to be deficit neutral. So in other words, any tax cuts are gonna be offset by spending cuts? Right.
3: Now, or just other tax changes. So when you, when you want to lower tax rates, you plug tax loopholes. You take away a loophole, lower rates in exchange. And so our theory here is instead of having the current code we have today where we have really high tax rates the highest in the industrialized world on our businesses let's get rid of loopholes deductions and just lower tax rates and let people keep their money in the first place because today we say send your money to washington and then if you engage in behavior that washington you know lobbyists and and loopholes and special interest groups approve of you can get some of your money back our whole theory of tax reform is just to clean out and simplify the code, get rid of those loopholes, and just lower tax rates across the board for families and businesses alike, and let them keep more of their own money. And more importantly, we make our economy a whole lot more competitive. And we know that that is the secret to getting the economic growth. Just uh, I'm giving you a long answer here, but I'll give you one more point. Johnson Controls is a perfect example. We all know Johnson Controls. It was the biggest publicly traded a company in Wisconsin, it's right there in Milwaukee. They are now an Irish company and their worldwide tax rate is 12.5% as a result. If they stayed at an American company, their worldwide tax rate would be 35%. This is just one local story of a phenomenon that's going around the entire country because we tax our businesses at much higher tax rates than our foreign competitors tax theirs and we're losing our businesses as a result.
0: Congressman, let's switch gears for a minute. I, I was reading a piece yesterday that, that the, the, the headline said, most unproductive Congress in 164 years. And actually, I guess I think that's a little bit unfair. I, may, maybe it hasn't been health care reform and maybe it hasn't been tax reform. But actually, there's really been a lot accomplished oh, yeah. over the last several months. I mean, let, Let's talk about the VA reform bill.
3: Well, the VA reform bill, that's in law, it's done. We have all the entire Veterans Administration. You can now fire people for, for doing for, for malfeasance for, for bad poor performance we couldn't even do that I mean look at the stuff we had at Toma look at the waiting list we had across the country where they were basically uh, lying to Congress about the fact that veterans were stuck in waiting lists we couldn't fire those people and hold them accountable now because of our VA overall we can do that we can bring accountability to the VA protect the whistleblowers that's in law we have passed more bills at this time in the Trump presidency out of the house than in the Obama presidency, the Clinton presidency, the Bush presidency, w, the George H.W. Bush presidency. So more laws passed out of the House, uh, more bills, more laws in law. And so we've been very, very busy. But yes, the Senate takes a little while longer to pass things, and so the House has been active. We've passed two big dump payments on the military. We passed Kate's Law, Sanctuary Cities. We had a huge dump payment on border um, security. We passed a complete overhaul of career and technical education. We passed opioid legislation that is now being uh, deployed and up and running. So we've actually passed quite a few things. Um, But let me give you one example, and and I assume you don't know anything about it, but you remember when Jim Comey testified at the Senate? Remember? There were, like, watch parties in bars to watch Jim Comey testifying? Sure. You know what the House did that day? We repealed and replaced (laughs) Dodd-Frank. Yep. I mean, (laughs) nobody knows this because... It's not selling. It's not on TV. It's not in the Internet. Um, I think we're we all frustrated. I think people I talked to, I was in Burlington just a couple of days ago. People are frustrated. I mean, we were down there talking about flooding, but people were talking to me about, you know, all we hear about is Russia. All we hear about are these these investigations. All we hear about is countdown clocks and Twitter. What are you guys doing? And I said The, the funny thing is, is we're doing a lot, but it's just, you know, no one really seems to know about it.
0: To that point, as long as you brought up the the topic of Russia, is is this nothing but? Is there something there, or is this just a huge distraction for everybody? Well,
3: you know, I don't know the answer to that question because these these investigations are going to take time. They're they're ongoing. As speaker, my job is not to prejudge the outcome of these things. But the point is, it's not paralyzing us. It's not stopping us from doing our work and doing our jobs. But it is stopping. coverage from occurring on things other than russia (laughs) so that's what i find is it is it is it is so consuming to the media that um repealing dodd frank which was which is a terrible law from the obama era that was killing community banks making it harder for people to get credit pretty big legislative effort we've got that done about a month ago um you know that's the thing we see is we just need to do what we said we would do, pass our bills, get our work done. We, of course, passed our repeal and replace of Obamacare. And we need the Senate to just keep working at it. That's, that's my theory is just keep working the problem until you get a solution. And, and that's what we're doing in the House. So uh, what matters at the end of the day are results. Whether we get credit or not or whether we get attention or not, it really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter as long as we deliver. And that's what we're focused on doing.
0: One final thing, Mr. Speaker. Um, Your relationship with the president when we've talked before, you described it as cordial and very good. Does it continue to be that way? Yeah, we had a long
3: talk yesterday morning. Uh, We talked frequently uh, just about the legislative agenda. We've been talking a lot lately about tax reform, about welfare reform, um, about the military, and many other things. So, yeah, we get along fine.
0: Does he strike you as being sort of upset about the the coverage and the focus on some things? Yeah, I think he
3: a little focused on that. I, I personally say, just don't watch TV. Let's just focus on doing our work. I try to tune it out myself as best I can. Um, I think he does. I think he's, you know, right, rightfully so. Seeing that we're passing a lot of things and getting a little frustrated about the fact that people don't know. But what matters is we just deliver results. So that's at the end of the day what really
4: matters.
0: Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. I really you appreciate betcha. your time. Take care. Take care. 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters bringing his Us and Them tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. I have a pair of tickets to give away. Caller number 16 at 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 16 gets a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters. One of the reasons I was so glad we could hook up with the Speaker of the House of Representatives is, I, you know, I, I understand if... If all you do is get your news from the headlines in USA Today or the New York Times or the Washington Post or what you see on on TV, you you would think it's just all Russia, Russia, Russia. And you get the idea that, you know, this everything is paralyzing and and the truth is it's not um you know congress has accomplished a lot i thought it was so interesting paul ryan saying hey look um we've (laughs) on the day that everybody's obsessed with this jim comey stuff we repeal dodd frank that that is a huge thing the va reform the national defense act uh the sanctuary cities act there's a lot of stuff going on and i am partly guilty of this as well because we we obsess over we we obsess over look it's a squirrel And at the same time, we don't talk about all the other stuff that is going on. And I think it's always important to remind us. My favorite part of the interview was um – uh, I guess Paul Ryan just saying, yeah, I talked to the president, and yeah, he kind of gets distracted by some of this stuff. And I keep telling him, just don't watch TV, <laughs> you know, that's, or or pick something else to watch. I think that's very good advice. We'll have that whole interview posted. You can watch it as part of the podcast. And I appreciate Paul Ryan joining me. Um, big story number three. Just want to make this as an observation. You've been hearing on both the national news and our local news that at the the, the recently committed at the recently completed um, you know G twenty meetings. Um, there was there was the three hour meeting between the president and between and Vladimir Putin that got a lot of attention. Now the latest story: this is the scandal. If you read the New York Times, Trump and Putin held a second undisclosed private conversation. Right here, and and of course the talking heads are exploding on this all morning. Here, here's what happened: all the leaders are at this dinner. Now it's not open to the press, but it's this big dinner. That goes on forever and ever and ever. It's like a three-hour dinner. At one point during the dinner, President Trump apparently gets up and, you know, walks over and starts talking to Vladimir Putin. That, that That's what this undisclosed meeting was. It's not really undisclosed because everybody in the room sees them. Can I see a show of hands? Everybody that's ever been at one of these types of dinners, you know, you're seated next to somebody, the thing goes on and on and on, and you get up and you go talk to somebody else. How this is a scandal. How this is, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe he, he left his chair and he had this conversation. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure maybe he wanted to say some follow-up stuff. Who knows what he discussed, but it doesn't matter. It's not any sort of secret. An undisclosed private conversation. Well, okay, a private conversation to the extent, if you're in a room full of people and you're talking to someone else that is a private conversation but of course this is the latest scandal du jour give me a break that's big story number three it is a complete nothing burger as far as the outrage all right coming up in just a couple minutes i, I have a confession i am in love with an inanimate object i'll share the story stick around it's nine twenty-eight. Nine thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WPMJ. One local expert believes Wisconsin could be on the brink of landing Foxconn. Hear what he has to say and why he believes the deal is close at hand today during Wisconsin's afternoon news with John McCure at five twenty. All right, it is nine thirty-five. Jane Mattner, ask you to hang around for a minute. I um, I confess, I am. Um, I, I, I have a love affair. It started yesterday afternoon. As a matter of fact, it is my latest love affair. Mm-hmm. It is with an inanimate object. I'm intrigued. I have fallen in love with a dumpster. <laughs> I, I admit it. I, it is dumpster love. Now you're giving me that look. Oh, okay. Now, now here, I, I want to see if you can relate. That's All right. right. Here, here's the story. Okay. Um, I live in this. I, I've been in this this big old house for you know going on thirty years. And over the course of thirty years, you accumulate a lot of stuff. And I'm I'm just. I'm I'm considering, you know, certain life changes and things like that. I'm keeping the dog, I'm keeping the job, all those type of things. But I but I'm looking at the big house and, sure. and it's it's much more of a house than I need and I, I gotta figure out where we're going. But I, I have I have thirty years worth of stuff in in the house. And my my late wife, God bless her, I, I you know, I play the horses and I drink beer and I watch sports. She liked to shop. And, and and so and we've got so we've got all sorts of stuff in there. Plus there's the stuff that you accumulate for thirty years. And and I have over the last year or so, I mean I've been like bagging up clothes and things like that, and taking them to the to charity and all. But there's still thirty years worth of stuff. Yes. And before I even know what I can do with the house, you know, before you can even start replacing the carpet or painting things, I, I've gotta start getting stuff out. So I become motivated to get stuff out. So what I I've broken this down, there's three categories of stuff that I found. And and this is Stuff that I use, like over the last, like I mean, I've been keeping track of the stuff that I use, and and out of this entire house, I would say the stuff that I use is about three percent. You know, isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just there's real. I mean, we have rooms in this house that I, I walk through, but I don't use. I mean, it's just so it's it's really the stuff that I use, and I do think it's probably true. If you haven't used something in a year, you're probably not going to use it. So there's the small percentage is stuff that I use. Then there's a larger percentage of stuff. That I don't use, but that that is valuable. You know that you you just you don't want to throw out. You want to you want to find it a good home. You want to sure. sell it or donate it or or whatever. Classic example is <laughs> there's all this I have all this high end cookware and cooking stuff. I don't cook. I mean I I need a microwave oven, <laughs> and a couple pans, and that and 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 that's it. But we've got all of it, this 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 high end cookware. I, okay, I, I'm never going to be able to use that. But you're not going to throw it out. But you want to find it to have a good home. Absolutely. But that's that's maybe a third, and then. The rest of the thing, it's just stuff. Why in God's green earth, I decided that I wanted to keep all my notes from law school in 1979. You know, i got a box with all my law school notes. When's the last time you looked through that box? 1979. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but it's, it's stuff like that, or, 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 or giant, I mean, cheap plastic shelving thing, and things like that. And I just said, okay, i, I got to deal with this. So, Monday afternoon. I call up one of my new best friends, guys, a listener, at the dumpster rental place. And I say, okay, you know, I want to rent a dumpster. Okay, we can have it there by by yesterday. So yesterday afternoon, I'm at home, I'm on the phone. All of a sudden, the dumpster comes, and it arrives. And they put the dumpster, and this is a big butt dumpster. Right, they they put it at the end of the driveway. So now it's about four o'clock. I got to go to this party at six o'clock, and you got to kind of dress for this party. So I, I hadn't—I just been planning to change my clothes. I hadn't been planning to take a shower or anything. It's ninety degrees. I've got this dumpster, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, I should just delay, you know, starting to fill up this dumpster. I should just—I should just wait till I have some time. Jane, it was like crack cocaine. You couldn't stop. I, I, I couldn't. <laughs> I, so I, <coughs> I, I go into—I just start. I'll just take one thing out from the garage. So I start, I take one thing out from the garage. I'll take another thing. Next thing I know, I mean, again, it's, it's. I mean, I've never had crack cocaine. I've never had heroin. But it's kind of a high like that. I'm hauling stuff out. I'm putting it in the dumpster. I'm sweating like a pig because it's 90 degrees outside. But I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm emptying stuff out. I get back from this party like it's 1030 last night. I'm going, no, this is a little bit too late because it's in the dark this morning. I was almost late for work <laughs> because I I just I couldn't resist this morning. I mean, it's like, all right, I make two or three trips to the dumpster. Ah. I can't wait to get off of work this afternoon <laughs> because I, I, I've already got the dumpster just about 20% filled up. And it's not, I'm just, I mean, just I, still, started. I still got stuff in the garage. I'm going to probably fill four or five of these, but it's this amazing feeling of just, Dumping stuff. Do you and feel lighter? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and this is just this. But, but it, I guess the bigger point is, it just shows how much things you how many things you accumulate that you really you just you really don't need. You don't need them and it's just and, and and so i'm just 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 hauling around people are saying well don't throw out anything of value so i'm not going to throw anything of value but okay giant plastic shelving units gone <laughs> you know it's just it just it it's just gone you know we we've got all this different stuff gone sometimes i think that people hang on to that stuff because they don't know where to get rid of it yeah you know what i mean
4: and that's oh. why we're we're having that big dumpster there is is very freeing it's you know well, it could just
0: all go in there well or you're i mean what i found happening to me is that you're almost Paralyzed, and that, that's what I've been saying to people. It's just that you, you don't know where to start. I mean, now the easier things are. Okay, you, you wrap up clothes that you're not going to use, and that, that's fine. You put them in garbage bag. You take them to Goodwill or whatever. But but then it, it's all that all that stuff, all that clutter. And you just can't figure out how are you going to do it. So this, I, I bet you, I'm telling you, this, this guy who, who rents dumpsters, you know, you, you're going to be able to put your kids through college for me because I know. I mean, this, this first one, it, it's only 20 percent full, and like I say, that that's just the garage still isn't empty. You know, I, I've got I've got all this other stuff that's coming out of the garage, and then I'm moving to the washroom today. I'm moving to the washroom, but t- this morning I was upstairs and oh, there's some more shelving. These can go, so I'm hauling stuff down. You and Gene almost had to do an extra 30 minutes because. it's <laughs> – I'm, I'm saying to the dog, "Okay, we're going to cut the we're, we're going to cut the walk short because Daddy's throwing crap in the in the dumpster. You're on a mission. I'm in love, but you can understand that absolutely. you yes, can I understand. That. Mm-hmm. Very freeing. Mm-hmm. All right, one segment four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I am in love with an inanimate object. I, I confess, I, I have dumpster love, and it's just been. An amazing experience, and it's just—it it, is—it's kind of freeing to start clearing the, this clutter out of out of one's house uh, to the point that I, I wanted to to do it. You know, I, I was like, gosh, I, I just—I wish I didn't have to go to this party last night because I could sit and haul stuff out for the next few hours. Four would, one Hondo, would you open up the phone lines, Hondo? Hondo, we four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text line um do you know what i'm talking about have you experienced have you experienced this as well the idea of what i'm describing as dumpster love the idea that and have you found yourself in this position you know wanting to clean things out um and just you know kind of move on because i found this whole thing to be just incredibly freeing and it's amazing you know, I know, especially when you've been in a house as long as I have, just how much stuff that you end up accumulating. All right. Dumpster love. Do you get this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to share our feelings. I, I'm i Jeff, and I'm in love with a dumpster. Stick around. It's 943. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine forty-seven, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. My name is Jeff, and and I'm in love with a dumpster. Can't can't help it. Let's talk to Barbara in Pewaukee. Barbara, good morning.
4: Good morning. I'm so excited to hear <laughs> that that you're excited about that too. It took me five years to clean my basement and closets out after my husband died. Right. And now, I finally moved, and it's a great feeling. Go for it.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 almost. It's almost kind of like liberating. It's like Definitely. you know, yeah. It's just it's it's one of those things where you know, and I mean, I now the stuff I'm throwing out has absolutely no sentimental value at all, other than you remember, hey, I remember when we bought this or whatever. But it's, I, I haven't used it. I don't need it. I'm not going to need it. Just get rid of all this clutter and and kind of move on.
4: It's great. I think I'm now a minimalist, and I
0: <laughs> well, love it. Well, right, ex- exactly. Thanks for the call, Barbara. I appreciate it. I mean, yeah, that's, it, it is, it's, I mean, I don't know that I'm ever going to become a minimalist, but it, it is amazing how many, you know, there are people I know who move every couple years, and so by, by moving every couple years, you kind of force yourself to do this, but if you've been, like I have, in the same place for 25 or 30 years, you just kind of accumulate stuff, and you accumulate stuff, and especially if you have sort of a larger home, you, you can always find places for the stuff i i'm i mean and th- this one dumpster I'm, I'm here to tell you i'm going to fill this thing up i'm embarrassed to admit this with just stuff out of my garage and probably the washroom and then i mean like like i say um whoever rents these dumpsters i'm telling you you know you'll put your kid through college on me because i'm sure i've got three or four more dumpsters worth of stuff to fill i haven't even thought about the the basement's not bad but the attic oh seth in walk seth you're on 620 wtmj good morning
5: good morning jeff
0: okay I'm in, I'm in love with the dumpster. Do you know what I'm feeling about, feeling like? Do you know that feeling?
5: I know the feeling. Uh, a while back, we moved south to go to graduate school, and we had one child at the time. We lived in a three-bedroom apartment, and we decided
6: when we moved, we
5: were going to get a 6x12 enclosed trailer. And whatever
6: we could fit in there, we were taken. Everything else was going to be chucked. And we just, we lucked out being in an apartment complex that all of the uh, dumpsters were
5: Right there, right in front of us, so we could just throw everything away. It felt amazing. We went down south and a 6x12 trailer, showed up, had very little to pull out, but we realized we could live just fine on that amount of uh, stuff.
0: Well, that's it. You know, we we just, in the course of our life, we we accumulate all, all this stuff and maybe it's the most well-intentioned thing. You're going to use this, or your needs change, or whatever, but at the end of the day, you, you don't need it, and it just it feels so good to get rid of it. I'm telling you. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, th- this was, uh, and I mean, I've been meaning, it's been one of these things. I have this to-do list, and it's kind of like, okay, checking these things off, and, and Monday, I just, for a variety of reasons, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do all these things on this to-do list, and, you know, one of them was called the dumpster guy. I, I, I was just, Again, they they deliver it. Maybe this is just a reflection on the state of my life now. But I'm like, oh, I've got this dumpster. This is so cool. And then once you started putting stuff in it, it was like, great. Jim in Kenosha. Jim, you're on 620
6: WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm good. Well, I'm loading a dumpster as we speak. Oh, Uh, really? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Happened to have a day off of work today. And uh, uh, the house we bought, uh, the guy that owned it before us, was like a utility contractor, you know, a general handyman, and just left all kinds of stuff in the garage. And um, I'm unloading everything out of there. I mean, whatever I can take to the recycle center, I'm taking.
1: Sure,
6: sure. But, yeah, there was a a toilet up in the rafters. I guess the gentleman had uh, passed away. And so (laughs) when we bought the house, it was just kind of, you know, all the stuff
0: stayed. (laughs) <laughs> okay,
6: and this is my second dumpster,
0: oh yeah, but but it but then you know you I mean I was just looking okay so i i only I only spent about a half hour, but I've already filled the thing up with about twenty percent, but'm I'm, I'm just looking at my garage, and there's still more stuff that's got to come out of it, but I'm already thinking, oh th- this I kind of actually like the way this goes, and I mean, all the stuff I'm throwing out is stuff that I've never used and were was never going to use, and it's just it's like, oh, this already looks a little bit cleaner, all right, you know, keep going, and it motivates you to get rid of things.
6: Well, the thing you have to watch, though, is your neighbors see it, and they say... Oh, do you mind if I throw something in there? And you say, <laughs> Yeah, sure, go ahead. And then all of a sudden, there's kitchen cabinets. And yeah. wait a minute, I'm paying for this. I'm paying yeah. for
0: this. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I actually think I'm so excited about this. I think the thing's going to be filled up before any of my neighbors get around <laughs> being able to do that. No, they, thanks for the call. I mean, because I, I mean, it is. And you I know, mean, this, this is a big. Du- I, I didn't get like the biggest dumpster they had because I want to make sure it fits in the driveway and all. But I because I, I also realized that it's going to be a a, a multiple dumpster. Type of thing but it was just it was just kind of freeing it's liberating marilyn in exonia marilyn you're on 620 wtmj good morning
4: good morning one of the things that i do is i put a sign on my stuff i'm working on and i just ask myself what would my relatives do with my stuff (laughs) right most most likely they would toss it out so in the dumpster it goes
0: yeah yeah and do you do that on a regular basis
4: I started because yep. my mother-in-law passed away in February, and we ended up cleaning out oh. her house. Yep, and it really opens your eyes up as to what people
0: keep. Oh, I, I, you know, I went, you know, I, I went through the same thing when um, my parents were alive. My mom got sick. And, and had to go into an assisted living thing, and then my dad was going to join her, and we had to, we had to sell the house, and neither one of them was physically able to clean that the house, and this is the house that I grew up in, you know. So there's all sorts of sentimental stuff, but you know they, they'd lived there for thirty thirty five years, and so it fell to my brother and I to go through that house and clean it out, and I, I mean I was just amazed, Marilyn. It was it was an awful. Couple days, you know, just about how much stuff had been accumulated, and most of it we didn't want it, you know. And so, you know, you're just you're bagging up memories and all, but it was uh, you're doing you're doing your relatives and your kids a favor. There's no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, that, and that's, that's, that's sort of, okay, our text line has exploded. Uh, Greg and Jackson writes, Jeff, great topic. I think it's great that you're cleaning out things and getting rid of junk. One thing that has recently been a huge trend are those local buy, sell, or trade websites through Facebook. Basically, people post their junk for people to buy. It's been great. We have tons of stuff. Yeah, I get that, but it's just, it's too much trouble for me. Now, now the stuff that has value, I mean, and there there is a lot of stuff that has value. I mean that that's that's not getting thrown out in, in the dumpster. I'll have to figure out what I want to do with you on that. Uh Greg and Racine texts. Jeff, my wife shares your sentiment on cleaning junk. However, most of the things she calls junk is mine, of course. Oh, well, <laughs> you can't keep it all. Um, yeah, let's see. Text. Jeff, I decided I needed to organize my life. I need to be able to find important papers when needed. I got a mental file, metal file labeled everything in alphabetical order rather than piles of old bills and junk you really don't need. Throw it out. Mitch and Sturgeon Bay text. The word is liberating. What's not to love about that? Penny text. I'm also in love with a dumpster. Another text. Jeff, it's called purging. I absolutely love it. I do it twice a year. It's the most amazing feeling. Welcome to the club. That's Lori. Um, Another text. I'm with you. We rented a dumpster a couple years ago, and I'm ready to do it again. Just need to convince my husband. There'd be practically nothing left in my house if it were up to me. Uh, another text. We moved to Wisconsin, lock, stock, and barrel in a 25-foot Penske. Now we couldn't move in a fleet of trucks. Yeah, <laughs> there is, there is, there is that stuff out there. And like I said, if you move, you, you you force yourself to do this. But if you're like me and you've lived in the same place for 25 or 30 years, there's there's no pressure on you. Joanne in Milwaukee. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
4: Good morning. I had to go through this last year. I was living in the p- house my parents had for 40 years. It had some of my stuff in it, and, and I moved from a four-bedroom house to a two-bedroom house. It was the greatest feeling, <laughs> having that dumpster. It was so tall. I was glad I wasn't there when they came to pick it up, because <laughs> yeah. I think there was a little bit of swearing going on. But we had we had rummage sales. We had donations. It was so good to be free of all that stuff and yeah. i you know
0: yeah well and I, I think sometimes like what i have been finding is it's almost overpowering there's so so much stuff that you just you know you got to clean it out but you just don't even know where to start and right and and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not a hoarder my my late wife wasn't a hoarder it's not like that but there's just all this stuff that you've got to end up getting rid no, of Oh, and i
4: inherited it with my mom and dad and i never went through it and it just right. And it just the umph the umph was well we're moving we got to get rid of it and it it was great
0: <laughs> no that, I, I, right and that's a, I say I can't I can't blame it on inherited stuff in general this is this is I'm, I'm owning this this is all stuff that we accumulated but you accumulate a lot of stuff over the, the 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 course of of decades so if if you happen to be driving around and you see somebody sweating like a pig um, hauling stuff out. I'm going to be enjoying every moment of it. Yes, I am in love. I am in love with an inanimate object. I call it dumpster love. Try it. You'll be surprised how much you like it. I don't know what crack cocaine is like, but to me, this dumpster is my crack cocaine. It's 956. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1007. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Um, as we were talking about about an hour ago with Congressman Paul Ryan, the state of health care reform, let me be even broader. The state of health care in this country, in some respects, for some people, very much up in the air. Now, here's the thing that gets lost in the debate over Obamacare, otherwise known as the Affordable Care Act. Most people in this country, before Obamacare and after Obamacare, did not get their insurance through the private insurance markets. Most people continue to get their insurance through their employers. So for for them, and I include myself in that category, for us, um, Obamacare changes which impose minimums as to what insurers have to offer. But, but beyond that, it, it doesn't directly affect um, people who get their insurance through their employers. The second largest category of people are people who are over 65 and get, you know, medical care provided through through Medicare. So you're talking about a relatively small number of people in connection with the overall number of folks who, you know, don't get insurance through either employers or through Medicare. But having said that, there's still millions of, of folks that are out there. As Paul Ryan was saying, and here is the reality. And I understand there's some people who don't want to confront the reality. Obamacare as it currently exists is in a death spiral. and I understand that there, there's people who want to stick their heads in the sand and pretend that's not happening but that that's not that is not the case. The, the way the Affordable Care Act works is you have insurers who come and they participate in these various exchanges that vary from state to state. Um, what happened when the Affordable Care Act first went into effect in many, States or counties, there were multiple insurers, all of whom offered different types of, maybe they they were hooked up with different provider networks and things like that. What has happened over the last couple years in a fashion that I think has occurred faster than most people realized was that the, the insurance companies could not make money. We've talked about this before. The number of people paying in and the amount of premiums they are paying, is not large enough to cover the amounts that the insurance companies are having to pay out. That is because the people who are signing up for insurance through these exchanges tend to be sicker than normal, and the number of healthy people who are signing up tend to be fewer than they expected. So insurance companies are paying out more than they are taking in. They are hemorrhaging money, and as Paul Ryan was saying, they're, they're, they're dropping out. I mean, what was he saying? In, in 40% of the country, it's now down to one, one insurer who is participating, and some states have none. Right? So th- there's no choices that are out there. It, it is a train wreck. The problem is, as we've talked about before, you can never, in the history of this country, once you have created an entitlement program, a, a government-sponsored, we're going to take care of people. you've never been able to go back because you have the same debate that you have, again, which is going on with Obamacare. You try to, even though Obamacare is is going under, it's in a debt spiral, you you try to talk about this, and somebody says, well, okay, if you take this away, X number of people might lose their insurance. Well, the truth is, everybody's going to end up losing their insurance that gets it unless they do something, but... But nobody can agree on what to do, so you have the House Republicans who pass their own f- their own form of rec- of uh, repair and replace, replace, repeal and replace. All right, no Democratic support at all. That goes over to the Senate. The Senate doesn't like the health the House bill. Senate comes up with its own bill. They can't get fifty one or fifty senators plus the vice president to vote for that. So then you're at a point where all right, the Obamacare. Affordable Care Act is in a death spiral. House, the Senate doesn't like the House bill. The Senate can't come up up with its own bill. So Mitch McConnell says, I'm going to have a vote to just repeal Obamacare. We'll just repeal it with a provision that will replace it with something in two years. Well, now there's not enough Republican support for that. So if you have the vote, it's going to fail. So the bottom line is, it appears we are in this, this gridlock where... Nothing is going to get done, and Obamacare is going to continue into the death spiral. The president now, I think, very, very frustrated that you know there, there's nothing. And when we were talking to Paul Ryan last hour, he was saying the Senate really needs to do something. Senate has to pass something, because unless they do that, we, we can't do anything. It, it's just we're, we're locked into the present system. But again, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Things change on a dime in Washington. But the way it looks right now is nothing is going to happen. You know, there's not going to be a separate reform bill that's passed, so you can't get it back to the House. Repeal is going to fail, so we are going to continue to trudge along. And for people who are trapped, and yes, I use that word, trapped in the the, the Obamacare system, your choices are going to go down, your premiums are going to continue to go up, and in some states, you're, you're not going to have a choice at all. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In a perfect world, you would have had a repeal and replace thing moving forward. Politically, that is not going to happen anytime soon, and I think most people in Washington have, have given up on that. So do we have no, it seems to me, we, we have no choice but to trudge along with the present system and to let Obamacare fail. Now, I understand there's newspaper reporters and there's editorial writers and there's talking heads on TV who say, oh, d- oh don't worry, it, the problems with Obamacare are, are being overblown. It's not going to be that bad. It's not. We're not going to have problems. Well, um, okay, I, I guess I have reluctantly come to the conclusion that given the fact that we can't get a consensus on anything, yes, we should trudge along, and and we should see where we are in a year and maybe if things really are as bad as i think they're going to be maybe that will motivate um people maybe it'll motivate people to recognize that you know you need democrats and republicans to work together to repeal and replace 414 is the acunate mortgage talk and text line and candidly i feel bad for people who right now are, are stuck on the exchanges, you don't have choices. You um, Your choices are limited. Your premiums are increasing. And if you are in some states, you're not going to even have the availability of insurance, and that's going to be a mess. But I see no way out. And and so maybe, maybe what you have to do, given that there's no consensus and no support at all for doing anything on the Democratic side, I, I think maybe we're at a point where you just have to trudge along and just... Let the worst happen, James and Kenosha. You're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think?
7: Well, you know, it's easy to say, let's just let the worst happen. Unless you're one of us, like I am, who has um, you know has to use the exchange. Yep. I'm a physician myself. I'm an independent contractor. It's just my wife and I, but it's just been miserable. I have some pre-existing conditions. Yep. If they do away with that. I'm I'm you know, I'm in mid fifties um, what do we do? It's easy for them to say, that you know, I'd, I'd like to see the government, uh, guys, the, uh, congressmen have to go on the exchanges and deal with pre existing conditions. And right. I'll tell you this, it gets fixed right away. It,
0: it, it gets the problem though. And it's, look, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I, to me, the, the whole pre pre-existing condition question has always been the most, the most tricky aspect of, of this. Um, but I, I see. I've argued all along that you could have you could have dealt with the pre-existing condition issue without having to necessarily blow up the entire system like they did. But I guess the the reality is now, if they've made the decision, we can't get an agreement. The conservative Republicans don't think it goes far enough. The liberal Republicans don't think it uh, it, it they think it goes too far. Democrats don't want to help. What what do you do?
7: Well, it, that's tough, but, you know, the whole idea, well, to just smash it and leave it broken for a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's easy for them to say, because right. they're not actually out there in the real world like we are, having to live and deal with medical conditions, and, you know, I mean, that's at the height of irresponsibility of the Republicans, just because they can't get their act together and agree with each other on anything these days, doesn't mean the rest of us should suffer, and, and they're going to pay the price at, at the polls, I'll tell you that. Well, how
0: do you, okay, why do you think that, I'm, I'm, see, I don't, I'm not sure, quite sure I understand, I I'm I don't know how the politics of this is all going to play out. Um, you don't think the Democrats are going to get any blame at all for not being willing to make any changes?
7: I don't think so, based on the history of the, you know, of seeing, having seen that government shutdown yeah. and who got blamed for that. Um, no, I don't think so. And I think that everybody out there, myself included, are watching the Republicans bickering with themselves more than they're bickering with the Democrats. They can't agree on anything from tax yeah, uh, policy to anything, and I think they look terrible right now, and this is from a lifelong Republican voter.
0: No, I, I mean, if they, thanks for the call, James. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the party in power always gets the blame, and of course this is, it's a field day for the, the media who wants to, the mainstream media that wants to underscore the problems, and I, and I, look, I guess I just, I have come to the conclusion that I, the, the reality of this is, especially without any Democratic support at all, that I'm afraid it is going to have to get worse before it gets better, and I, I understand that is a very frustrating sort of thing. And I particularly understand for people who are trapped in these exchange exchanges who depend, like uh, the, our first caller, the doctor does, that, that who depend on on this and who are seeing their premiums go up and are seeing their choices, you know, go down, you know, dramatically. I, I understand how frustrating this is going to be, and I, I get all that. I, I do, but at the same time, again, sometimes. You have to – you just – I think there, there is this disbelief that's out there. A lot of people are just saying it's not that bad. We're not going to have problems. It's okay. We can just muddle along. And, and maybe what you need to do is maybe you need to bottom out before collectively people are going to recognize that, you know, we, we need to make fundamental changes and that the Affordable Care Act just doesn't work. And I think a lot of people, even when it was initially passed, recognized that it didn't work. Um, Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Hey, Jeff. Hi, uh, I have a hard time uh, feeling sorry for the insurance companies. If you look at the front page of the business section of the Milwaukee Journal today, uh, the Healthcare Group reported a two point two two something billion, with a B, dollar profit in one quarter. I think I, we all agree the Affordable Care Act. It was just a stepping stone, a beginning point. It needs modification. It needs to be modified. But I think we need to look at the insurance companies that are saying they can't afford it. The article says UHC only covers the Affordable Care Act the exchange in three states. Right. Yeah. But they made two billion dollars in a quarter. Yeah. I have a hard time feeling sorry for.
0: Well, I'm not feeling sorry for them. I I, I don't care about the. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not f- feeling sorry for the insurance companies. I'm feeling sorry for the the people who the insurance companies are making decisions that you know we don't we don't want to participate in these things because we do lose money on them so we're choosing not to i mean that's okay, that's but, who i feel sorry for
6: okay but every business has segments that lose or don't make as much profit but it's offset mm-hmm. by profits in other sectors of that business when a company makes 2 billion dollars in a quarter I got a hard time with that.
0: Well, so what? What would be your solution? Would you have? You think the law should mandate insurance companies to offer policies?
6: I, I think that's an option. I, I'm, I don't misunderstand. I, I think we have way too much government intrusion.
0: And that would well, be a lot of government to, intrusion there. Well, <laughs> well when, when it
6: comes to basics of health care, I mean, I have a granddaughter that had have open heart surgery at six months, six days old. We know she's going to need open heart surgery at least once again. Um, I mean, my son is paying $1,000 a month for health insurance for a $10,000 deductible. Right. All right? I mean, uh, some of these people need help. I, I I don't think it's unrealistic to look to insurance companies to maybe make a little less money and provide better coverage for those segments of the population.
0: Yeah, I guess the question, I mean, thanks. I mean, but then the question becomes, How how do you force that? I mean, are we at a point where you're going to say to... Where the government is going to come in and say to private businesses, "You, you have to. You know, we're going to mandate that you, you know, provide." I mean, what you're essentially ta- talking about is a government takeover of the insurance industry. And by the way, what what some that's what some people want. I mean, I believe all along, Obamacare the people that are the architects of Obamacare knew that this was going to happen and they knew that this was going to be a failure and what they really wanted to do is they wanted to say okay we're going to have a single-payer system we're going to we're essentially going to eliminate the private insurance market where whether employers offer it or whether individuals offer it we're going to eliminate this and we're going to have the government be the only insurer and that's I mean, that's the logical step of what you're talking about where we're going. Now, the problem with single-payer is, well, there's lots of problems with single-payer that we've talked about before, but you're, you're talking about massive, massive tax increases to support that. Um, do, do people want to pay that? Um, I just th- – see, this is the problem, and the architects of Obamacare, I think, knew this were going to happen. I, I have no sympathy necessarily for insurance companies that are making huge amounts of profit, but at the same time, I also – I'm not at the point where I want to say, okay, let's have the government come in and tell businesses that they have to offer these different types of things. And by the way, whenever we talk about health care, I always do want to mention that to me it's it's there's two edges. One is one is the insurance companies, but you're never going to solve the health care problem unless you also deal with spiraling medical costs. And the medical industry doesn't doesn't want that. I mean, I look at the. I look at the the rush of hospital building, and look, I I, I, over the last couple of years, I have spent more time in hospital waiting rooms than I I ever hope to again in my life, believe me. And it's nice to have all these amenities, and it's nice to have all these new bells and whistles, but do you really need one brand spanking new state-of-the-art hospital um, within, you know, five or ten miles of another brand spanking new state of the art hospital. Because, of course, you have all the, these different, you know, medical networks. Okay, if, if, um, X, provider is in the north shore then you know we've got to be in there and we've got to compete so they've got a state-of-the-art hospital so we're going to build a state-of-the-art hospital a couple miles down the road um so we can compete so we'll draw people in and i get it that's the competition but we're all paying for that you know we're paying for all the the fancy atriums and we're paying for all the state-of-the-art stuff and do you really need a couple hospitals and so again i 'm not anti medical care, believe me, but you know you 've got these spiraling health care costs as well, and that 's part of the thing that 's driving it and you know that 's one of the reasons why you know when we talk about the problems you 've also got to look at the other side of the coin, which is you know how much we are paying for medical care and how much of that is going into uh, again we want to have the it 's not necessarily the the state of the art medical equipment but we want to have the brand spanking new Buildings so people are attracted to it. It's 1024. This is Jeff Wagner. I I, I wish I had the answer to it. I mean, right now, the reality looks like we're going to continue with the status quo. The status quo is unacceptable, but maybe things have to get worse before they can get better. It's 1024. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1027. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, as long as I'm venting my frustrations. All right. I have a continuing frustration now with the Senate Republicans um, federally with their inability to do something. I understand Paul Ryan's frustration as well. The in the in Wisconsin, I, I okay the there is a working majority U, state Senate twenty Republicans, thirteen Democrats, sixty some Republicans in the Assembly. We do not yet have a state budget. It's a couple weeks overdue. Now, this isn't something that I think people are going to care about later on, but right now it makes Republicans look bad. And let's be honest. Here's where the problem is. Robin Voss, let's name names, he is the leader of the state assembly, I don't know if he wants to be governor. I don't know if he's in the process of trying to shake down certain special interests for contributions to some of the Republican candidates, but it is an embarrassment that we do not have a state budget yet, and it is at the feet of the assembly leaders. So for the conservatives in the state assembly, the Republicans, the Jim Ott's of the world, the Rob Hutton's of the world, the Joe Sanfilippo's of the world, I could go on and on. You need to revolt. You need to say enough is enough. The Senate Republicans came out with a budget plan of their own because they can't get anywhere with the obstructionists in the Assembly who are insisting on raising taxes in order to pay for road improvements. Republicans do not get elected by raising taxes. But here's what I say. If you want to have this debate... right. You don't do it this budget cycle. Come back next year. Any Republican in the state assembly who wants to run on a platform of jacking up the gas tax or putting the sales tax in place on the gas tax or anything like that or increasing registration fees or whatever. Fine. Run. You will probably lose in primaries, but that's okay. Run. Have the guts to do it. But right now, it is embarrassing that there is not a budget. The state senate has come out with a workable budget that proposes reasonable borrowing, which will allow road projects to proceed. Um, It is time for the state assembly, Republican. It's the leadership. It's not the rank and file. As long as I'm naming names, John Jagler, you should be standing up and saying to Robin Voss, hey, what are you guys doing? We look stupid. All right, now is the time to say we've done our best and say no to some of the special interests that want to increase taxes. Get a budget done and let us move on. State Senate came out with a workable plan. They should do it. All right, it's 1029. This is Jeff Wagner. Thirty-seven, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters brings his Us and Them Tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. Um, all this week, we're giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets. We've already given out the tickets for today, so don't call in now. Um, but uh, tomorrow and Friday, we'll give you a pair of tickets. Um, be listening to the program sometime between 830 and noon, and you could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters, featuring songs from Pink Floyd right here with 620 WTMJ. All right. I... Um, I have been very fortunate in my life that the jobs I have worked at have had reliable schedules. Um, but I mean, obviously, now I'm, I, my schedule is. I'm on the air at 8.30. I'm, I'm off at noon. So, I, I mean, I know I don't have to look at the schedule when it comes out every week because I know I have the same hours. I have the same shift. Obviously, in a lot of jobs, most of the jobs I've had in my adult life, it's been that way. You know, you've got to, you know, you're, you're there for business hours. It's like you're, you're there from 8 to 5 or 8.30 to 5 or whatever it is. There are a number of industries where you, people's hours vary. The hospitality industry, restaurants, would be a classic example of that. Hospi- hospitality industry would be a classic example of that. Hang, um, I don't know why he's wondering if he'd call in. We don't have an interview scheduled, so I don't 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 know what that is. Somebody says, can they call in around eleven fifteen instead of ten fifty? I have no idea what that is all about. Um, in any event. Um, the, uh, the the whole situation with – if you work in the restaurant industry, for example, you're, you, you have hours that will, will vary. And – or fa- fast food industry, if you are a waiter or a waitress, for example, you know, you probably get your schedule. Maybe the schedule comes out a week in advance. And the schedule, maybe your schedule oftentimes will vary. Sometimes it will vary on short notice. Sometimes it's a situation where, hey, maybe you're expected to work. Let's say you work at a restaurant. Let's say you work at a restaurant where uh, it's the summertime. There's outdoor dining. And they're planning on having a number of people. They're planning on, hey, we're going to have 100 people outside on our patio dining. But the weather is, it's raining um, and you know, you're not going to be able to have outside dining anymore. So, what ends up happening is they end up canceling the. You'll say, okay, the the owner or the manager or whatever will look and say, all right, we're not going to be able to set up outside. We don't need an extra five or six servers because we're we're not going to be serving outside. We don't have the need. So what happens is you call the the server and you say, I'm sorry, we don't need you tonight. I know you are on the schedule to come in, but we don't need you because... You know, again, people aren't going to be sitting outside due to to the weather. So you've got all that different stuff that's going on, and I know it is an annoyance for people. Maybe the retail industry is the same sort of thing. You get your schedule, and then what happens is a variety of reasons your your schedule will, will change. And I know it is an annoyance for a lot of people. You, maybe you make childcare arrangements. Hey, I'm scheduled to work on I'm scheduled to work on Thursday night. Um, I've made arrangements. Somebody's going to be watching the kids or whatever, and then you find that your schedule changes and you're not working on Thursday night and you're working Thursday during the day. I understand that 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 is an annoyance. In some respects, it kind of comes with the territory for the nature of the jobs, but still it is an annoyance. There are a number of cities that are moving to address this annoyance. Later this year, for example, New York City, is going to have a law that's going to go into effect it's targeted right now at restaurants but other cities have laws that target restaurants retail establishments and whatever this is what the law says employers have to give employees their schedule two weeks in advance have to give them their schedules two weeks in advance and and if you make changes To that schedule, after the two weeks, you have to pay a penalty to the employee for whatever that change is. So if you've got somebody, again, you know, it's a Thursday night. You've got somebody scheduled to come in to be the waiter or the waitress to work at the outdoor patio. You have to schedule them two weeks ahead of time. And if the day of or the day before or two days before, you're looking at the weather forecast and it's, you can see that it's going to be rain or you're afraid it's going to be a washout and you call the person off you as the employer have to pay them a penalty a premium for changing the schedule now like i say in new york this this is targeted right now at restaurant employees but other places targeted at retail employees you know if you're got uh, if you're working at jc penny just put one out of the air you know you're uh, your scheduled to work your shift is you're supposed to be in on a wednesday and then they decide they don't need you or whatever, and they schedule, they change your schedule on short notice, the employer would have to pay a premium. Right, right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I understand why employees would like this certainty. I think this is a gross government overreach though, and I think this would be devastating to a lot of businesses. If they had to make schedules two weeks in advance and they had to adhere to those schedules regardless of what happens. Four one four seven nine nine-one six twenty, let's discuss. And I, I'm sure I know a lot of people who listen to this program work in the service industry, or maybe you've worked in retail, maybe you've been a manager in the service industry, or a manager in the hospitality industry, or a manager in retail. How would this affect you if schedules had to be made two weeks in advance and had to be adhered to? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1043. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1047. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 20 minutes, America, where all kids are exceptional an interesting topic right now we're talking about this growing trend New York City has done it a number of other cities Seattle as well they are passing laws that target various industries in New York City it's the restaurant industry it says that employers have to make up work schedules two weeks in advance and then if they change those work schedules have to pay a penalty to the employee the idea being hey we've told you that you're gonna have to work a Friday two weeks from now um you have to make child care arrangements or whatever. Then we decide we're going to cancel you. You have to get a premium, or you got to get a penalty. Would that? I, I just think this would be disastrous on so many levels. Molly and Walk. Molly, you're first. Good morning. Good
4: morning. So I have a college age student who's working in Minneapolis this summer on a macaroni and cheese food truck. Okay. And it's a. I know, right? Doesn't it sound like it's the best job? <laughs> um, so she is a victim uh, not a victim but i mean this is the, the industry that she signed up for when it rains the food truck doesn't go out right if something breaks on the truck the truck doesn't go out right but i think she and every other college student working jobs like this they go in with that understanding and i think you have to plan for that so you get a second job or you just budget for that i think Wait. government interference in this way is ridiculous
0: you see, and I agree now. And if and I do think employers should have an obligation of providing some certainty to employees. Like, like, I mean, let's let's take the example of retail, if it, it where maybe there's less. Um, it, there's less weather dependency than say in the restaurant industry um, but okay so it's retail I, if you have a manager that's constantly scheduling people and then canceling those shifts that tells me you've got a bad manager and maybe you should start looking for you know an, another job someplace else but to have the government come in and limit and tie the hands of employers with their ability to make schedules I, I just think that's, that's a bad idea
4: I agree. And what about the opposite? I mean, I have to believe that then if that's the case, managers would start scheduling people for fewer hours and then asking them to come in extra to avoid that. And I think, again, how can an employee plan in that situation either?
0: Right. Exactly. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I I think that's a very, very good point. Uh, Kathy in West Allis. Kathy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Kathy.
4: Um, My point was that if this goes into effect employers will under schedule, they will cut back on the people that they're going to schedule so they won't have to risk paying these fines right and then the customers will be suffering because they won't get the service they require and and the um employer, so i'm sorry no, oh,
0: so there okay No, i'm sorry We it's kathy there well yeah that that's I mean, that would be the way I would respond. That's what I was talking about with unintended consequences. If, if I were an employer and I was concerned about whether or not – I don't want to pay the penalties. So what I would do is I would do exactly what you said. I would underschedule the employees. All right, no, you're, you're not on th- this week. And then what I would do is, all right, if it turns out that you've got more demand – first of all, it would effectively cut hours. But then if you've got more demand, then what I would do is I would – the manager would call and say, hey, you're not on the schedule. Do you want to come in? And so you've still got – I mean, now, admittedly, then it's the employee's choice, but you've still got the, the reduced hours that are going there. That would be, I think, part of the unintended consequence. Now, I have a number of people who are uh, making this point. Our text line has kind of exploded on this. Um All right, for example, um, that's fine, but then can we penalize the employee when they don't show up for work, when they call up and say they don't have a babysitter? Can we penalize the employee when the customers get bad service because we don't have enough staff or because they called off to go to some event? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the flip side of this. If you say, okay, you, Mr. or Miss Employee, you've got to make your schedule and you've got to adhere to it and you can't change things. You know, what happens when, The worker decides, oh, I'm not going to come in, or I couldn't find anybody to, you know, replace me, so I'm going to call up at the last minute because I just got tickets to the Roger Waters show, and I'd rather go to the Roger Waters show than go to, you know, work and work as a waitress or a waiter or whatever. You know, can there be penalties there? I mean, it's again, it's... It's the unintended consequence here's what I think it is. I don't think this is something that the law needs to get involved in and the government needs to get involved in if you have an employer that is constantly jerking you around with regard to your schedule, I understand why that is frustrating um I, I think that's maybe a sign that maybe you should be looking for another job if, if there if it's an issue and it's a bad employer, and I do think that you know you have to be sensitive to people's schedules plus the idea of of having to you know arrange stuff two weeks in advance you know for a restaurant Really I mean isn't a lot now I understand a lot of times you're going to have a certain certainty, but you, you don't necessarily know maybe it's a situation where they, hey there's a good review for your place in the that appears you know on the radio or something one of the reviewers does a good review, and all of a sudden people want to come in so you have to you know adjust your schedule and th- these laws particularly strike me as being absurd in the again the restaurant industry in particular because Things change. I keep going back to that idea. Hey, we thought we were going to have a really big Friday night. We've got this huge outdoor patio that's out there. We, you know, I mean, there's there's a number of restaurants I go to on a regular basis, and I will tell you, the the interior of the restaurant, the, the size of the restaurant doubles, literally doubles, if they can use the patio seating. I mean, I I'm, there's a restaurant on the east side I go to all the time. I love it, but you know, in the summer they they. The staff is a lot larger than the staff is in the winter. Well, all right, so you're figuring it's going to be a big Friday night. We've got this fish fry. It's a big Saturday night. People are going to want to come in. We think the whole place inside and outside is going to be packed. Oh, there's a big thunderstorm moving through the area. Uh, We can't serve outside. Nobody's going to be sitting outside. We're going to have to be turning away reservations right and left. Well, all right, you you send the people home. That's just the, the nature of it. Plus, from the perspective of the waiters and waitresses, You know, do you just want to kind of have to hang out for two or three hours getting paid whatever, you know, restaurant minimum wage is knowing that you're not going to be waiting on tables? I mean, none of that makes any sense. This is it's kind of the unintended consequence thing. I was talking about this um, again, going back to the Affordable Care Act with somebody yesterday. One of the most absurd provisions of the Affordable Care Act and. You know, I predicted this one was going to happen and it's kind of gotten lost in discussion is the the whole requirement that for people who work 30 hours or more a week, you have to be offered insurance. Doesn't matter if you don't want to take the insurance, doesn't matter if you don't need the insurance, you have to be offered insurance. So. Um, The idea was, hey, employers can't work people like 36, 37, 38 hours a week and then not offer them insurance. Okay, so everybody, oh, this is great. Well, what's happened is you have employers, you have employees, Hondo, who would raise a hand, you recognize this. You know, employees who are technically part-time, so they don't otherwise qualify for the benefits, but for a variety of reasons, they might not even need the benefits. But under the policy, they'd like to work, 36, 37, 38 hours a week. They'd like to work that, but they can't even though they wouldn't take the health insurance if it was offered because the company doesn't want to be in a position of having to offer that to, again, the part-time employees. So what does the company end up doing? They say, okay, well, to avoid this, we're going to cut your hours back. So instead of working the 35 or 36 or 37 hours you want to work, we're going to, on average, limit you to 25 hours a week so that you don't go over that 30-hour maximum for health insurance. So how does this benefit the employee? The employee... Um, first of all isn't getting health insurance anyways and secondly instead of working 36 or 37 or 38 hours a week they're down to working 25 hours a week how and they still don't have health insurance how has that helped anybody well the answer is it, it hasn't that's these unintended consequences of a lot of these different laws all right coming up in just a couple minutes America where every student is exceptional or are they? It's eleven oh eight, this is Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us coming up in about twenty minutes. What's it gonna take before people realize they can't do certain stuff? Before that, Garrison Keeler, Colleen, remember your Garrison Keeler, you know, Lake Wobegon? You ever yes. Okay. One of my favorite quotations Welcome to Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. Right? <laughs> Yes. Right. That, that, that's like your kids, they're above average, right? Oh, certainly. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. Okay, well, all right, everybody's, Hondo's nodding. Your kid, Hondo Jr., above average. Everybody's above average. All the women are strong. All the men are good-looking. All the children are above average. Well, here's the problem with that. We can't all be exceptional in everything. And the reality is not all kids are above average because what average means is average is average, there are people who are going to be above average, and there are going to be people, wait for it, who are below average. But if you are a product of American high schools, you would not know that. There's a really interesting study. I, I saw it in USA Today, and I'm, what they do is they, they reprint a lot of the USA Today stuff in the Journal Sentinel. So it might be in the Journal Sentinel, too, but it, it, it's out of USA Today. Here, here's the study. The good news on America's report cards More high school teachers are handing out A's. The bad news is the students aren't necessarily learning more. Get this. Recent findings show that the proportion of high school students graduating with an A average, that includes A minus or A plus, has grown sharply over the past generation. In 1998, so 19 years ago, 38.9%, 38.9%, that's round up to 39% of American high school students who graduated had an A average. Again, that might be A plus or that might be A minus, 39%. Um, last year, 2016, it had grown to 47%. All right, so you, you heard me right. Nearly half, almost half of America's class of 2016 were A students. All right, they are exceptional. They are A students. So, again, like Lake Wobegon, all, all the children are above average. 47% of the kids are A students. Well, that would be okay, and that would make us all feel good about ourselves, except, well, I don't know that it's necessarily true. All right, so how do you decide whether somebody deserves an A or not, what the learning is? Well, one of the things to do is, like, look at SAT scores. SATs are one of the standardized tests that, you know, people take along with the ACT to determine, you know, college preparation and preparedness and things like that. Okay, so at the same time, we have gone from 39% of students graduating with an A average to 47%. Um, The SAT scores... Have dropped. Um, back in 1997, the average um, SAT score was 1,026. That score has now dropped to 1,002. Now, I, I understand that that sometimes people say, "Well, the SATs are, are the, the standardized tests don't accurately reflect learning and things like that." All right, I don't want to argue the value of the standardized tests, but but you are comparing apples to apples. Um, you know, 18 years ago, 37% of the kids graduate with A averages and you have a certain SAT score. 16, 18 years later, the number of kids graduating with A averages has gone up pretty dramatically, you know, by like, you know, 8%. So it's gone up pretty dramatically, but the SAT scores have gone down. Wouldn't you think? that if you had more students graduating with A averages, the scores would go up. You would. But l- let's be honest about what's going on here. This is this is high school grade inflation. This is more and more kids who I don't believe are doing A quality work, but they're getting A's nevertheless. Why are they getting A's? Well, that's kind of the interesting thing. Is it because you know, there's... This pressure on the teachers, hey, give the kid an A or else the parents are going to complain, I'm not going to be able to get into Harvard if I don't get an A. So even though I deserve a B or a B minus or a C, you know, give me an A. Is it pressure that's coming from the parents? Is it that the teachers um, who just don't want to even have this hassle, um, have we dumbed down the curriculum? Our number four, and does this matter? Does it matter if this is like we'll, like we'll be gone? That should we really care if kids are getting A's that don't necessarily deserve A's? Four one four seven nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, again, at the risk of dating myself, I mean, I can remember classes. That that I took both in high school and certainly in college, where it was just it was all number dependent. I mean, it was okay. You got various scores on various tests, and then you know if you ended up if your average of all the scores, including the exam, was over whatever number, eighty five percent or eighty eight, whatever it was, you got an A. If it was between eighty and eighty eight percent, you got a B. Um, you know, seventy to seventy nine percent was a C. Below that was a D. It was this very very objective type of thing it was numerical and it was based on the numbers nowadays that doesn't appear to be the case i don't think you can argue that there is a tremendous amount of grade inflation that's going on and you know what i just think i think it is a bad thing i understand perhaps why it's going on but i I think it's something that needs to be reined in telling a kid that they're an a student when they really aren't doesn't do anybody any favors 414-799-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line how do you explain this increase i think it's great inflation and as much as i would like to think that 47 percent of the students that are graduating from american high schools are a students i don't believe it stick around if you want to discuss it 414-799-1620 is the number if you're on the line please hold on it's eleven fifteen. this is jeff wagner Eleven seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Marion Racine text. Washington Park High School. I have been told the teachers are not allowed to flunk a student, and unlike uh, the eighties and nineties when seventy percent was passing, fifty percent is now considered a passing grade. That would not surprise me because um, the high school graduate, the average high school graduation rate, I'm looking at the numbers now tops eighty three percent. Um, Excuse me for being a cynic. I I just find it hard to believe that 83% of the students really should qualify to graduate. My guess is there is a tremendous pressure to let's get these kids out of here. Um, even if they're not qualified. four one four We're talking about the, this new study that shows that 47% of high school kids that graduate now graduate with an A average. That's up from like 39% in uh, about 18 years ago. Is it great inflation or are kids really smarter? Uh, Carmen in Heartland. Carmen, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi. What um, do you think?
4: Well, I just think that... Um certain school districts have um and this is kind of a newer thing um you can get a grade point that's over a 4.0 so mm-hmm. of course that's going to make a difference and you know i i um, i just think that obviously that's going to make it look like if you have that capability then there's, you know, you're measuring different things, and so I'm kind of wondering if that maybe came into the study as well.
0: Well, but it says 47 percent graduated with I, when I say the A average, that includes A minus, A, and A plus, so that would also include, right, the kids that graduated with the, right, that would be rolled into that as well. Yeah, when it, you know, when when I went, I went to Nicolay a long time ago, and they actually they weren't on a, they, they had four point, but you could also, you could get extra credit for like the AP courses, so an A in those counted for five. So, I mean, I think our valedictorian probably graduated with a GPA well above four, I think. So, but yeah, you're right, more and more students are doing it. But still, do you really believe that almost half of the kids who are graduating from high school are A students? Um, no, I, I yeah.
4: think that probably not. And I just wonder though about, you know, if that's, Something It just seems like that's in more and more districts, um,
1: mm-hmm.
4: the being able to get more than a 4.0, yeah. and I've always wondered about that. And then I wondered, too, about the SAT thing. Uh, you know, um, I think more and more students are now taking the ACT, so I wonder what those scores are like.
0: Yeah, whether they've gone up or not, I don't have. Thanks I don't have the ACT numbers in front of me. I have the. Let me see. Let me make sure I don't. Um, no, I have the SAT numbers. But again, I'm kind of. And now more and more people take the ACTs now. Um, but the I took them both for some reason. I used to take standardized tests well. I actually, for some reason, my mind kind of worked that way. Um, but but at least I've, I mean the SATs again. You compare apples to apples, and the SAT scores are going down. The A averages are going up Um, there's there's a disconnect all right our text line is explained let me I'm going to embarrass you this is Mark in Watertown Mark texts I graduated from Watertown this year For the first time ever, I got an A average. I put in almost less work this year and came out with better results. I have no clue how this happened. I noticed throughout high school that classes kept on having less and less coursework, and instead of the classes getting more intense as the years progressed, the material kept on getting less and less intensive. My siblings struggled struggled in world literature class I took, but I managed to get an A with about the same competency level as them. It all depends on the level of care by the teacher. Well... I mean that—that's the key. And here, here's a text from Karen. Um, this is Karen from. Um, she says, um, this, "This is Karen. Um, the this is grade inflation. It is due to the self-esteem crowd. Oh my God, Johnny might feel bad about himself if he doesn't get an A. Enough is enough. Yes, I just don't think you you can divorce that. Um, let's see um, another text." Wow, almost half are worthy of an A. Do they even teach the concept of a bell-shaped curve? Yeah, for teachers that grade on a curve, remember, a lot of times it would be, all right, I- instead of, instead of you, you need a 90 on a test to get an A. That, that's the hard thing. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to set it aside so that 20% of the class gets A's. So that means that maybe you can drop down to an 86 to, to fit into that 20%. That's the bell-shaped curve, that type of thing, instead of just the hard numbers. Well, no, if, if there's a bell-shaped curve, it, it's got to be a huge bell um, and a huge shape, 47% with A's. I mean, look, and I understand. You feel good. Everybody wants to be an A student, but we're kidding ourselves if we suggest that, you know, people are, are doing are, – are, are, that 47% of the high school graduates are are A students, Um, Let's see another text. Kids also get numerous chances to improve their grades with redos and retakes. Um, Not in my day. Another text. Many of the grades students receive are tweaked and twisted until it fits the mold of what the school administrators, parents, and politicians want to see. Also, today's educators teach out a fear for their jobs. If a student fails, at one time it was a student who had the fear of failing. That's no longer the case. Quite simply, students don't fail in 2017 and haven't for a long time. You see, that's that that's the issue. We, if it, I understand there's this desire to make people want to feel good. But believe me, I, I get it. I, I understand that. We all want to feel good. And, you know, if you've got a kid... You want your kid to be an A student. You know, you, you want to be proud of them. You want your child to be exceptional. But what does it mean to be exceptional if everybody is exceptional? I mean, are we really, are we kidding ourselves? Because the truth is everybody isn't exceptional. And the truth is almost one out of two every high school graduate isn't doing A work. That's the truth of the matter, but they're getting A grades. It's 1124. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up, when will it stop? Stick around. It's 1126. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 44 million Americans have a side hustle, a way they can earn some extra cash. Is it because times are tough or because Americans are so greedy? Hmm. John McCure has the answer. Tune in, 434, during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Uh, This is, actually, there was an announcement yesterday. This is, it's it's very good news. For a period of time, I want to say five to ten years, a number of years ago, it was the golden age of air travel in Milwaukee. You had various air carriers, starting with Midwest Airlines, formerly Midwest Express, um, AirTran, United, Frontier, number of others that were all operating out of Milwaukee. And you had various, very various choices. Um, one of the big things when when I travel, a lot of times now it's leisure travel. But when I travel, I, I'm looking for direct flights. I just, I, I don't, air travel is enough of a hassle that I, I just, the, the idea, I mean, I'll change planes if I have to. But otherwise, when, when I'm booking trips, I'm, I am looking to fly direct. And there was a period of time a while back where it was really the golden age of air travel. You had a number of airlines that were competing aggressively. Um, In in many respects, it just made a lot more sense to fly out of Milwaukee than it did out of, for example, Chicago. You had a lot more choices. Um, That has sort of changed. There has been a consolidation in the industry. Midwest has gone away. AirTran has gone away. All these places have been taken over. Um, Basically, if you're flying out of Milwaukee, I mean, Southwest is the dominant player. And I don't have any issue at all with Southwest, but there's all sorts of places that, that people want to go. I was exploring taking a trip to uh, Key West um, early part of next year. And the, the, the choices. The, there's no easy way to get there. You know, you pretty much have to um, you have to either fly to Miami and then drive. And it's actually it's a tremendous drive or you have to it's a great drive or you have to fly to like Atlanta You can fly Delta to Atlanta, and then you can fly uh, Delta from Atlanta to Key West. Um, But but if you wanted to go the Miami route, you can't get to Miami directly from Milwaukee either. I mean, it's just, it's it's kind of a pain. You can get to Fort Lauderdale, but Fort Lauderdale is a ways outside of Miami, especially with traffic. So it's one of these kind of frustrations, and you're playing around. Well, anyhow, Frontier announced yesterday, and my understanding is this is just, The start of a much larger expansion that Frontier is going to be doing. Frontier announced that uh, they're coming back to Milwaukee in a big way. They've always had a presence in Milwaukee, but it's been relatively small. Now, Frontier Airlines is kind of like, well, it's one of these no-frills airlines. It's kind of like the trailways of the sky nowadays. I mean, it's sort of like you, you, you get a seat, maybe, and then if you want anything else, you have to pay for it. But, I mean, that's a choice people make. Frontier has announced that they're coming back. They're going to fly to Tampa, And, of course, a lot of other airlines fly to Tampa. But they're also going to be adding a direct flight Milwaukee to Miami, which is something that we haven't had. And I'm told that they're going to be announcing a number of other uh, flights direct from Milwaukee to locations in the Midwest and to various locations along the East Coast. But Frontier coming back into the market in a big way. Now, like I say, I'm not a huge fan of some of these no-frills, like really low-cost airlines. Because I think you get what you pay for. But regardless, if if you want to fly direct and you want to get to places, uh, again, it's great. Plus, competition is outstanding, and uh, this announcement yesterday that Frontier is starting to be, they want to be more of a player in the Milwaukee market, the direct flights to Florida are great, but also the nonstop flights that I think they're going to be announcing to other locations in the Midwest and the East Coast, that's going to be great as well. I don't know that we're ever going to see a return to when, uh, again, it was the golden age of air travel out of Milwaukee with the Midwest Expresses and things like that, but um, Frontier Airlines coming back and apparently wanting to be a player. They're expanding nationwide. Um, I say bring it on. It is a benefit to all of us. Thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of our listeners, being absolutely no help, says that, hey, if you want to go to Key West, my advice is um, fly down to Miami, or, or actually buy a Harley and drive down there. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I, it, it's an option. It's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Fran about it. Honey, what do you think about, like, getting on the back of a bike? And well, I don't think that's good. Now, I will say this. the, the <laughs> it's, Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, not in this lifetime. I, I will say that the, uh, the the seven. I haven't been to the Keys in a long time. Um, I the the seven mile bridge, the the overseas highway, um, which is about like uh, it's a what about 113 miles or however long that that is. Um, it's, it's a spectacular drive, but, um, I don't think I want to do it. I don't think I want to do it on a bike. Um, that, but that's just me. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can do that. It's, it's a, it's a fun drive. It just kind of takes a while, especially if there's traffic and not necessarily on a bike. All right. This is a story that, that the more you hear about it, the more, fr- the more frustrating it is it is a sad story. It is a tragic story. It is a story though, that, that just, Unfortunately, it repeats itself and repeats itself every day around here with with no end. All right, um, let's see. The medical county uh, medical examiners uh, just released the fact. Remember, there was this this story um, Monday afternoon, about four o'clock. There was the report of a nineteen-year-old man who was killed in a crash near Fond du Lac and, and Roosevelt in Milwaukee. His vehicle struck a curb, then a tree. The vehicle was split in two. I have seen the photos. Literally, this car was split in two. This car was split in two. Um, I, I I've been told by sources that what happened was the car was speeding excessively. We'll talk about that in just a second. Had been involved in in a two one or two rear-end collisions like rear-ended one or two cars was was leaving that scene high rate of speed um and the driver loses control of the car but this is four o'clock in the afternoon uh, two days ago in a in, in a residential area in the city of milwaukee um the reports are coming out now police said speed was a factor in the crash um, they estimate – well, here, here's a story as reported on, on Fox 6. Um, Daryl Brown was the sole occupant of the vehicle. This is the 19-year-old man. He was partially ejected when his vehicle slammed into the tree and pronounced dead at the scene. Um, medical examiner report says he died of multiple blunt force injuries. His death was an accident. According to the police report, get this, Brown's vehicle was headed eastbound on Fond du Lac at the time of the crash. The report notes that Brown's vehicle was possibly involved in a minor crash at the 51st Street Boulevard intersection. That's what I'm being told. He rear-ended a car and then actually might have rear-ended a second car, um, continued eastbound. He lost control. His vehicle turned sideways, struck a tree, split in half, flipped, and the front half of the vehicle traveled 60 to 80 feet from the tree. All right, that tells you that this car was really moving. The report states that Brown's vehicle was estimated to have been traveling at 75 75 miles an hour or faster. This is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, The posted speed limit in the area is 30 miles an hour. So, I mean, it's a residential area. You've got this guy... Driving like a bat out of you-know-where, 75 miles an hour down a residential street in the middle of July, presumably when there's kids out playing. I mean, it's it's a residential neighborhood. Driving 75 miles an hour or faster. And I certainly believe that because if you look at the damage to the car, um, the car had to be moving really, really fast for when it hit the tree to split in half. Brown. Did not have a valid driver's license at the time of the crash, but the vehicle was registered to him. It is not believed he was wearing a seatbelt, according to the report. Okay, so heavy sigh. You've got a 19-year-old guy without a driver's license, without a valid driver's license, driving at 4 o'clock in the afternoon down a residential neighborhood in the city of Milwaukee. The guy is driving 75 miles an hour plus not wearing a seatbelt. They say they found. Let me see. What I just want to make sure I'm I'm accurate here. Um, they say that uh, an empty bottle of liquor was located near the vehicle, and an empty bottle of beer was found under his body. So I I, I mean I I don't I don't know if he was drinking or not. I don't know if they're going to do toxicology reports. I don't know that it matters. Seventy five miles an hour, four o'clock in the afternoon residential area no draft valid driver's license no seatbelt, smacks into at least i'm told maybe two cars rear ends a couple cars and then you know loses control of his own car hits a tree and now you've got a 19 year old kid that's dead i mean it's just it's it's a tragic story and i don't mean to underplay it, it it's in some respects given how irresponsible this driving was it's an it's a near miracle that other people aren't dead as well that there weren't you know kids out on bicycles or kids walking on the sidewalks or adults walking on the sidewalks or somebody out you know with a broom dusting off the sidewalk when this guy loses control of his car or other people in the street an absolute miracle that this isn't worse but but here's the bigger picture i wouldn't be obsessing on this story i wouldn't be spending the, a segment or two on the radio about it if this was a unique situation, but the truth of the matter is, this is not a unique situation. This is just another day in the city of Milwaukee. Seventy, you know, excessive speed, two plus times, almost you know, closer to three times over the speed limit. No driver's license, no seat belt, booze in the car, presumably, and now in this case, somebody dead. Now in this case, it's the driver that was dead, as opposed to other people. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know that there has ever been a time in my lifetime where, remember the old adage that you have to, that you say about driving, you have to look out for the other guy? I don't think there has ever been a time where that adage, look out for the other guy, drive defensively, is more valid because this type of stuff goes on on a daily basis, you take your life into your own hands if you are driving down the street. You take your life into your own hands if you are in the crosswalks. You take your life into your own hands if you are out on the sidewalks. I don't think there has ever been a time in my lifetime where there's been more reckless and irresponsible driving. Four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you seeing this, too? I mean, on this particular case, and it's a tragedy, this young man lost his life. It it is. There's nobody to blame but but himself. But this is not an atypical situation. Now, he wasn't driving a stolen car. Half the time when you hear these stories, it's a stolen car. But he didn't have a driver's license. 75 miles an hour, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, residential street. Let's start with Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, you're first. Good good morning.
5: Good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Uh, Good morning, whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I was telling your Screener, I I drive these streets every single day. I'm a sales rep for a small company, and I I go up and down Fond du Lac Avenue, Capitol, Appleton Avenue, and it's nothing to see somebody go by 70 miles an hour in the right lane, pass you on the right, at an intersection where the light hasn't even changed yet, no regard for it whatsoever. And I've seen, as far as the booze goes, I've seen guys get out of the car, put a 40 on the top of the roof, (laughs) And there's a car at across the street. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing is done.
0: Yeah, it, it's
5: Absolutely nothing.
0: It, it's so, just, and then no valid driver's license, you get caught. And you know that happens most of the time, too. You, you get stopped with a no valid driver's license, and, and then next thing you know, you're, you're out. The same person's out driving an hour later. I mean, this is, and it's endangering and it's all the, our lives.
5: Yeah, and it's the license applied for that are expired three months ago.
0: Yeah, well and, and right, exactly. Or revoked. You know, who knows? Revoked, expired, whatever. Yeah, now, yeah. now thanks to the call. Now at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And and I guess this is it's just so damn dangerous. I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, I'm, and again, in this particular case, it's the driver who, who who's killed. And and I understand some people might say, well, he got what he deserved. Well, yeah, to an extent. But, but you don't want to see this happen to anybody. I mean, there's a grieving family. But it's these irresponsible, reckless decisions that are going on that are endangering all of us. All right, we continue the conversation. It's 1145. This is Jeff Wagner. Hang on the line. 1148, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the routes I take to work, I I drive a a less traveled road crossing a a more heavily traveled road. It's a controlled intersection, red light. I have learned that when the light turns green, I have to literally count one, two, three, four before I go because I swear – one out of every five times, you cross that intersection, and if you go when the light turns green, you will get hit because there's going to be somebody driving like a bat out of you-know-where accelerating going through the red light. It's just, it's it's the wild, wild west. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Ricardo in Milwaukee. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Hi, this is Ricardo. Yes, sir. So uh, we are just speaking about um, the reckless drivers, and yep. I had an incident this morning where, we were stopped on 96th in Congress. Um, it's a heavily construction zone, so there's only one lane going north, one lane going south, and five cars were uh, waiting in line. The very front one was a city bus, and somebody in the back of the line goes north um, in the southbound lane, <laughs> just honking his horn um, to to speed in front of us and cut, you know, through the intersection. Didn't even stop at the the flashing red light or anything. You know, um, it's just ridiculous.
0: No, and, 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 this, and it's not just an isolated case, Ricardo. My guess is you see that kind of stuff all the time.
5: Oh, absolutely. Uh, my daughter was uh, hit yesterday on her bicycle. Um, the guy only struck the front tire, but she was at a crosswalk, and he sped up to go through the yellow light and um, hit her front tire and spun huh. her off the bicycle.
0: Did he stop or did he drive off?
5: He, he did stop. Okay. Okay. Um, but you, you know, it was just the reckless driving of speeding yeah. up to go through the yellow light.
0: Well, exactly, and this happens on a, a regular basis. I mean, this. My guess is, um, again, that this story. And look, I, I feel bad for the family of this guy, this nineteen-year-old guy who shouldn't have been driving, much less driving seventy-five miles an hour in a thirty mile an hour zone. Feel bad that the kid is dead. I, I honest to goodness, do. It's an horrific accident, but it could have been worse, and it could have been anybody out there because this type of stuff goes on on a daily basis. Let's talk to Ted in Hubertus. Ted, you're on 620WTMJ. Good morning.
8: Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I, as I said to your caller, or um, mm-hmm. kind of checking that, uh, about a year or so ago, I was walking uh, eastbound on Wisconsin Avenue, and I was in the crosswalk, and a young lady decided she had to beat the traffic coming the opposite direction. She made a left turn, and huh. she pretty much nailed me.
0: Oh, oh wow. Uh, I was
8: very fortunate that uh, somebody must have been watching over me because my gr- head did not hit the ground, so I did not suffer any head injuries. I did roll, but uh, I actually got away with having a broken rib and a broken uh, small finger. Huh. But I had, I had to sue my insurance company for the— um Right. Uh, you know, I'm an
0: insured motorist. Oh, cause, okay, so the woman who hits you, and, and this this happens She's a alienated. lot, too, right? right? No, yeah. this happen, no, she has no insurance, and so right. you're out of luck. Yeah, no, thanks. Yep. For, let, let, me, let me put on my, my recovering lawyer hat for just a minute. That That is one of the things. For those of you who are responsible and carry insurance, um, you you want to always have uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage, and you want to have as high a limit as you can afford, because what happens is that's what protects you if you get hit by the joker that's driving around, and this is happening regularly a lot, who doesn't have any insurance or doesn't have enough insurance to cover your injuries. So one of the things I always advise, and I'm not an insurance salesman, believe me, but you want to look at You want to look at liability insurance, which protects you if you're at fault. But what happens when you are the victim, and, again, it's the woman who's driving, like he was just saying, no insurance at all. You want uninsured motorist coverage. You want uninsured motorist coverage. And you want as much as you can afford, in my opinion, at least, just to protect yourself. Tom in Brookfield. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
8: Good morning. Uh, I drive a Harley-Davidson, and uh, obviously a lot less miles today than I used to because of the driving. Um, and every trip we take, we, we very carefully plan our route. This weekend, we went to the air, the air show, right. and of course, had to go through the city of Milwaukee. I live in Brookfield. We planned it so that we would go down uh, Watertown Plank Road and Juneau Avenue because I avoid the freeway. And uh, amazingly enough, on the way back, 35th and uh, I think it was Highland, Two cars had crashed, probably not more than uh, two minutes ahead of us. They were still smoking, and both of them hit so hard they had spun around and were actually in a construction ditch. Huh. And that is just typical. And as you, as you said, you cannot go through an intersection without making sure, looking both ways,
0: and waiting, <laughs> and waiting.
8: Yeah. So, so I, I make that trip very slowly and very carefully and it's it's true it's the ultimate defensive driving
0: well right and and, and I mean thanks to call and and expanding that it's it's not just now defensive driving it's defensive walking it's defensive um, I don't know sidewalk cleaning. You got to be paying attention all the time because people are just nuts. And I, again, these topics frustrate me because I don't have an answer. I, I don't know what it takes to say to the 19 year old kid, "You don't drive 75 miles an hour with no driver's license in a residential area at four o'clock in the damn afternoon." You, you. I don't know what you have to do to get that message across. And obviously, whatever we're doing, we're failing.